before we read, I'm going to pray and ask for the Lord's help. Lord, I ask that you would speak to us this morning. We know that as we read your word together, we know that you are speaking authoritatively through your word, but I pray that you would speak to us through the preaching of your word as well. I pray that you would soften our hearts. I pray that you would give people cause to be encouraged, others who are maybe comfortable cause to be afflicted. I pray that if there are, that, that for the people in this room that are not following you and not Christians, I pray that they would be made new. These things, all of them, happen only via your Holy Spirit, and we pray, Holy Spirit, you would be active amongst us, your people. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Margaret Thatcher, the late British Prime Minister, once memorably said, being powerful is like being a lady. If you have to tell people you are, you aren't. Being powerful, she said, is like being a lady. If you have to tell people you are, you aren't. The same thing is true with authority. If you have to go around telling people, I have authority, I'm the boss, you don't. Or you aren't. And that's what we've seen throughout the book of Mark. Mark has shown us Jesus as the one with authority, not because he's walking around saying, I have the power, or look at me, how strong I am, look at what I can do. But we see throughout the book of Mark that Jesus exercises his ministry both in preaching and teaching and everything that he does. And as people come in contact with him, they recognize his authority without him saying anything about it. So we see right from the beginning, as we started our journey with Jesus, according to Mark, in Mark chapter 1, verse 21, when we read, and they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he, being Jesus, entered the synagogue and was teaching. And notice the effect. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority. He taught with one who had authority authority, and people noticed on their own. Jesus constantly broadcasts in everything that he does and says a settled, unshaken authority that comes through all the time, consistently. His authority infuses everything he does, from casting out demons, to forgiving sin, to calming storms, to redefining the Sabbath, to feeding thousands with just a few morsels of bread and meat. All he does and all he did was drenched with authority. He had authority so much in spades that people were always talking about his authority. Now, throughout Mark, there are different people who respond differently to this authority. Some are astonished. Some repent. Some follow him. Some stare. Some are offended. Some oppose him. Some even plan to kill him. Everyone has to respond in some way to his authority. How are you responding? How am I responding? We have to ask that question. Are we astonished at his authority? Does his authority lead us to repentance? Does it make us want to continue to follow him? Do we just stare? Maybe we're offended. Maybe you oppose him. However you come to Jesus, the question is not, does Christ have authority? But the question is and always has been, how are you responding to that 
authority. No one can remain neutral or undecided when it comes to his authority. Everyone will respond in one way or another. If you pretend that Jesus doesn't have authority, you're still responding to his authority. If you run from Jesus, you're still responding to his authority. If you pose him, you're still responding to his authority. If you follow him, you're continuing to respond to his authority. So here's the question for us today. How are you responding to Jesus and his authority? And here's the big idea. Because Jesus has all authority, we must submit our lives and everything to him. Because Jesus has all authority, we must submit our lives and all that is in them to him. Now let's join Mark again as we go with Jesus for a third time in his many weeks to the Jewish temple. Now there, as Jesus walks up to the temple, we meet a a delegation that sees the authority of Jesus and does not respond well. They try and hide their disgust behind the mask of a couple of questions. Let's see how that goes. Mark chapter 11, verse 27 through 33. God's word begins. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me. And I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Two thoughts this morning to guide our way through this passage. First, questions of Jesus. Second, a question from Jesus. So the questions of Jesus. Now, as the calendar in Mark turns from Monday to Tuesday, we join Jesus in, this, in the center of Jewish worship at the temple. Now, the most of the book of Mark is taken with the last week of Jesus' life. That is because that's the most important part of his ministry on earth. And so, last week when he came, he literally cleaned house. He went to the temple and he cleared the, the, the court of the Gentiles so that people from all over could come and worship and not have to deal with the buying and selling of pigeons and lambs and, and animals and all kinds of stuff. And so he comes back the next day and is confronted by an official delegation. And he was walking in the temple. Okay, now here's the people that met him. The chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came to him. Those are three distinct different people, groups of people with three distinct different roles. The chief priests, was that was the upper echelon of all the thousands of temple priests. Each one of them had sway, and each one of them was a former member or a former high priest from previous years. So these were the most important priests. The scribes 
was the Jewish legal department. They were the ones that taught. And so the lawyers come along with the chief priests. Along with the chief priests, we have the elders. These are, this is representatives from the Jewish aristocratic class. They were community leaders. And so this was a formidable delegation facing off against an uneducated peasant from Galilee. All the people who mattered in Jerusalem were arrayed in front of Jesus. This is a formidable delegation. Now, what would it be like for us today? Imagine walking into a massive corporation, maybe like Apple. And as you walk in, you're confronted with the CEO, the CFO, the COO, the whole governing board, all the legal department, and all the presidents and vice presidents of every department, and they form a semicircle around you. That's what this would have been like for Jesus. And Jesus has his disciples. And we know they're of exactly no help. So the adults are about to start talking. I don't, this isn't in the text, but I imagine Jesus says, okay, you go ahead and play with the toys and watch this. Verse 28, they ask him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you the authority to do them? In other words, where do you get off coming to our temple, disrupting our lives, and doing all this stuff to our commerce? We're talking again about the day before when Jesus cleared the court of the Gentiles, of those buying and selling, and he cleared it so that the Gentiles from every nation could come and use the temple as a place of worship. The chief priests and the scribes and the elders saw themselves as the highest authority of the, over the temple. Nothing happened in the temple without them having a say. And Jesus came and disrupted everything. <clears throat> now they knew that Jesus did not get his authority to clear the temple from them. Now this question they ask, where do you get your authority, seems more civil than it really is. Why? Because we have a watching crowd. We have a crowd that is swollen. It's Passover time, and we've got tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people crammed into Jerusalem, and many of them are right there around Jesus and the delegation of the Jewish elite. So not only do the Jewish elite stand before Jesus, but the crowds press in to hear the interchange. Now, we know this is not an honest interchange. We know these are not honest questions that people are asking. We know this because last week, after Jesus cleared the temple and said, you've turned my house into a den of robbers, we read this. And the chief priests, in verse 18, you can look up there if you want, and the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. So the chief priests, the scribes, they say, let's go get our buddies, the elders, and let's confront this guy. They're trying to trap him. Trying to get him you got to also see that they didn't come up with these questions off the fly or off the cuff. I'm sure they gathered together, debated which questions to ask that might expose Jesus as the charlatan they believed him to be. And so they came up, here's the best they have. By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this author- the authority to do this? Or this authority to do them? Now, if all goes well, in their minds, they win in one of two different ways. First way, if Jesus says, I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things, God has sent me. God above has sent me. And he has given me the authority 
to clear the temple and teach that you guys are a bunch of scoundrels. At that, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders tear their clothes and they yell, blasphemy, and they might just get lucky enough to incite a riot and stone Jesus. That's one way this could go. The other way this could go is if Jesus says, I'm doing this by my own authority, thank you very much. At that, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders can point to him and say, this is a mere man, he is not from God. You can ignore him and go about your business. Either way, they thought they had him beat. But they underestimated Jesus. The proud and self-righteous are constantly underestimating him in this book. The religious proud and self-righteous constantly underestimate him. Little did they know Jesus had them exactly where he wanted them. They asked their questions. Now it's Jesus' turn. We have a question from Jesus in verse 29. Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Snap, that's the sound of these guys falling into their own trap. Verse 30, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. I love how Jesus says twice, answer me. He comes to them and says, you think you got questions? I got better questions. Boom, you deal with these. I want you to talk to me about Mr. the Baptist. I want to know what you think about him. Now, it might seem strange or some kind of deflection for Jesus to ask about the ministry of John. But remember, Mark, as we've walked through this book, the first note that Mark sounds after describing to us what he's trying to do in in communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ, the first note he sounds is a note of the ministry of John the Baptist. Jesus and John are linked, not just because John and Jesus show up around the same time in the book of Mark, but because Isaiah promised centuries before that John would prepare a way for Jesus. This is what we remember when we, we remember this when we read in Mark chapter 1, the very beginning, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And here's the first thing. Here's the first thing Mark wants us to know. It's fulfillment time. It's fulfillment time in the person of John. Verse 2, and it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So if John was commissioned by God, and clearly he was according to Mark and the scriptures, so was Jesus. If John was working on his own, so was Jesus. Now you've got to know that this delegation that came to Jesus, did not endorse the ministry of John. He preached that all a person needed to repent was a willing heart and a a willingness to confess sins and be baptized. Now, for the first time, this took the center of worship away from the temple. And these priests, they could not have that. The chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, they couldn't have that. They didn't like John. So Jesus asks them a question that actually exposes their hearts. And so he asked his question, they have to huddle up. Now, when Jesus was asked his question, he doesn't huddle up with his disciples. They're still behind him playing with their toys. Jesus asked his, them his question, and they huddle up. Like a catcher and a pitcher and all the infield, they come in, and Mark takes us into the huddle on the mound. And we hear their deliberations in verse 31. 
And they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, which is another way of saying from God, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? And then Mark explains why they don't want to say that. Because they were afraid of the people. For they all, being all the people, held that John really was a prophet. He really was. So the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, they're not stupid. They saw what Jesus had done. They had been given two choices, and neither of them were good from their perspective. They realized they can't say John was a prophet sent from God, because if they do that, they admit they opposed a man sent by God. And they're supposed to be the Jewish leaders. They're supposed to be the ones who lead the people, who shepherd the people, who show the people the word and the will of God. But if they say that John was not sent by God, but just a man doing all that he did on his own, own the crowd might just riot. Everybody in that area, everybody who choked the court of the Gentiles that day and pressed in to hear the interchange between Jesus and John, they had all confessed their sin. They had all gone out to the river Jordan. They had all gotten plunged into the waters. And to speak against John in some way and some measure would be to speak against them. And so the religious leaders took the cowardly way out. They didn't take a stand. But we actually know that when you don't take a stand, you still take a stand. And here's what they said. Verse 33. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. (laughs) So here we have the religious leaders of the day. The shepherds of the nation of Israel. The temple authorities. There is no higher group. There is no higher authority to appeal to. There is no one higher than the chief priests. There is no one higher than the scribes. There is no one higher than the elders. And collectively, these men were the ones who ruled Israel. And these men were the ones who pointed out what God wanted the nation to do. And they just admitted that they can't tell the difference between a work of God and a work from men. The reputed leaders of Israel who were supposed to lead and shepherd, had no idea what they were doing. That's what's being exposed here. They had authority in the temple, but they just admitted that they don't even understand when to recognize when a prophet from God would come. See, these leaders here standing before Jesus and all the people are cowards. They couldn't even be relied upon to give an honest answer. It's a fulfillment from Isaiah. Isaiah connects to Mark. So if you're ever interested in studying Old and New Testament, two books side by side, study with Isaiah and Mark side by side, and you'll see all the connections. But those standing before Jesus, Isaiah had talked about before in Isaiah chapter 56, verse 9. It applied in his day and this day. All you beasts of the field come to devour. All you beasts in the forest. Here he now speaks of the scribes, the chief priests, and the elders. His watchmen are blind. And they're without knowledge. They're all silent dogs. They cannot bark. Dreaming, lying down, loving to slumber. You see what he's saying? The chief priests, the elders, the scribes, they're asleep. They're letting all the murderous, violent enemies to the people of God come in and devour. 
And these dogs, not only they sleep, verse 11 says they have a mighty appetite. They never have enough. But they are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each to his own game, one and all. Come, they say, let me get wine. Let us fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow will be like this day, great beyond measure. The people who were commissioned to protect Israel were asleep, and if they weren't asleep, they were gorging themselves at the expense of the people. The leaders devoured the people for their own personal gain. These guys, this delegation, these chief priests, these scribes, and these elders were no leaders to follow. They sacrificed the people's well-being for their own gain. So Jesus has no respect for them. And why should he? They had no respect for Jesus. Here he is, God the Son, standing before them, the Ancient of Days, the Alpha and Omega, the Mighty One. They are afraid, uh, and they're afraid of the crowds. They got it exactly backward. If there was somebody or something to be afraid of as they stood there before Jesus on that day, they ought to be afraid of the Galilean because he was not just a man. He was God and man. God had come to his temple. God had visited his house. And he has found that in his house, the leaders in that house needed to repent, but the leaders of that house were standing to oppose him. How different Jesus is from these chief priests, these scribes, and these elders. How different Jesus is from the best leaders in our world. These guys will do anything to hold on to their authority so that they can control other people. Jesus is different. We will see him in this book continue to be different. We will see him use his authority to lay aside his right to control the universe for the good of his people. These guys, they were out only for themselves and their own enrichment. Jesus, quite the opposite. He's better. He was out only for the people and their enrichment. (laughs) These guys, they feared losing control over the crowds. Jesus feared for the crowds. You see the difference. They were afraid that the crowds might rise up and riot and throw them off. Jesus, if he feared anything, if we can use that language, he feared the wrath of God on the crowds. They demanded that people serve them. Jesus came to seek and serve the lost. You see the difference. He is the shepherd that Israel needs the leader that we all need. These leaders, they were more concerned with getting rid of Jesus and saving face. Jesus was most concerned with getting rid of the punishment of sin and saving sinners. These leaders say to Jesus, not your will, but our will be done. Not too long in this book, Jesus, he will face rejection and say to God, not my will, but yours be done. See, this is the way Jesus exercises his authority for the good of those who follow him. See, in our world, authority, those who have it, don't always exercise that authority in good and responsible ways. And so often, they don't respond, they don't exercise that authority in loving ways. Here we have Jesus, 
The reason Jesus has come is to gather those who are willing to be able to follow him. He has come so that he might be able to live a perfect life, die a substitutionary death, be risen from the dead, so that all who come to him place their sins upon him and say, let me live, he gives life. For all of them, Jesus, Jesus has come. And he says, you can follow me. Jesus uses his authority to save people. He is easy to follow, if you can put it that way, because he's not trying to take advantage of anyone. He's not trying to control anyone. He has all authority, but he leverages that authority for our good. And so, when the leaders say, we don't know how to describe the work of John, Jesus responds and says this, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. We know, though. We know because we've seen it very clearly in the book of Mark. We know that Jesus has authority not just from God, but the authority of God. His authority he uses for our good. And these leaders, they did not respond rightly to his authority. How are we going to respond to his authority? Now, Mark tells us this story not so that we can go, man, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, those guys are class A idiots. I would never do that. No, we'll do other stupid things. The point for us is this. How am I responding to the authority of Jesus in my life? How are you responding to the authority of Jesus? How? That's a question. That's a question we must ask ourselves. That's a question we must grapple with. Are you willingly following Jesus or are you opposing him and running from him? Are you a Christian and maybe you cordon off some part of your life that he can't touch and you act as if that part of your life He has no authority over. How are you responding? Are you opposing him? You know that everything that is said about him in the Bible is true. You know that you're a sinner. You know that you need a savior. You know that you need help, but yet you put your arm out at every turn and refuse to bow the knee and refuse to submit to him. How are you responding? Even if you're not responding and saying, well, I don't have an opinion, You're playing make-believe. Everybody, in some way, must respond to Jesus and his authority. Now, here's what makes it easy. When When I say following Jesus, submitting to Jesus, what I mean is this. It's pleasant to follow him because he loves us. He is easy to follow. Now, I'm not saying that the Christian life will be easy. Not at all. But I am saying something altogether different. The reason we can say that it's easy to follow Jesus is because He always uses His authority for your good. The way might be hard, but the Savior's heart toward you never is. The way might be confusing, but the Savior's love for you is always clear. 
with Jesus and how he uses his authority and his sway and his leverage, you never have to wonder, does he care about me? Yes. Does he know the way is hard? Yes. Does he love me? Yes. You see, if Jesus didn't have all authority, we wouldn't be able to trust him. He wouldn't be worth trusting. I'd be standing up here saying, here's a fool. Follow him. But if he doesn't have the authority to do what he says, there's no reason for us to pay any attention to this man here in Scripture. But Jesus has all authority. And that means we must respond. That means we must follow him. That means it doesn't make any sense at all for us to oppose him. And when you recognize that he uses his authority for our good because he loves us, If that doesn't melt your heart, I don't know what will. So how are you responding to his authority? Are you like the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, thinking up fancy arguments to try to make him stumble, pushing him away, more concerned about your status, or what other people think of you, more afraid of what people might think of you than what than, than following Jesus. They want to go their own way and do their own thing, thank you very much, and they don't want to be intruded upon by Jesus. Is that you? Are you opposing him? Are you opposing him? See, one of the reasons these guys opposed him was because he didn't do what they expected. They expected Jesus to come, or the Messiah to come, respecting them. He did not, because they opposed him. Sometimes, when Jesus doesn't do what we think he should do in our lives, we oppose him. Are you doing that? In this passage, some people oppose him, Some just begin to start to listen to him. That's the crowd. Here in our passage, the crowd stands and watches and listens to the Galilean. There is this time for standing and watching and listening. There is. Pay attention. Ask questions. Ask, who is this Jesus? Why is he worth following? And maybe you've been listening for a while. That is good. Continue to listen. But... At some point, you're going to need to submit to him and say, not my will, but yours be done. There are some who oppose Jesus in this passage. There are some that are listening to him, and there's others that are following him. I've already mentioned the 12. But Mark tells us that Jesus did not come to the temple alone. They, his disciples, his followers, came with Jesus to the temple They don't understand what he's doing, surely, but they're with him. They're following him. They're with him nonetheless. Is that you? There are going to be many times in our lives as we follow Jesus and submit to his authority that we just walk where he leads, not knowing what's going to happen. We're not promised that we get the answers to all of our questions. We're promised that Jesus will always lead us. We're not promised that everything will make sense, but we're promised that Jesus will use his authority for our good and his glory. 
We're not promised that the life and road that we have to walk will be simple, but we are promised that as we stick close to him, he will never lead us astray. So if that's you, keep following him. Keep submitting to him. Because we Christians, we know he has all authority and he uses that authority for our good. He's forgiven us of our every sin. We can continue to come to him. We don't need to worry about feeling unworthy. Are we unworthy? Yes. When we commit sin, our temptation is to gather, to, to pull ourselves away and, and, and think, well, I can't go to him and, and say this again and receive forgiveness. No, that's the wrong, absolutely wrong way to think. We have a Savior who has taken all authority, set it aside, died, rose again, so that we might, we might be able to come to him again and again and again and again. And he welcomed us back again and again and again and again. He forgives freely. You don't need to carry that burden. He has the authority to take it off your back. And he has authority, Christians. He has authority in all parts of our lives. It's easy to forget that. He has authority over our hopes and our dreams, our thoughts, our actions, our todays, our tomorrows, our next weeks, our next years, our every day. He has authority over those hidden agendas we have, those open agendas we have. He, open, he owns all of us. He has authority over all of us. Are we continuing to submit? Are we continuing to follow him? As foolish as the chief priests and the scribes and the elders look as they confront Jesus, we look that foolish as we try to hide parts of our life from him or pretend like we're not compromising or pretend like there's parts of our lives that he doesn't have authority over. It's not true. It's not true. He has authority. We need to respond. We need to submit continually. And we find that as we come to him, he's easy to submit to because he loves us. He is not a harsh taskmaster. He does not beat us over the head. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He treats us with love and kindness and patience and forbearance. He's not like these leaders in the temple here who try to put it apart lord it over people or tell people what to do to enrich themselves. Jesus has given of himself so that we might have everything. He's not like these leaders who try to control people and make them robots. Jesus gives us the spirit and blesses us with new life and gives us new freedoms and new joys and new opportunities. Jesus opens up the key to life. Following and submitting to Him and bowing our knee to His authority means our life will start to make sense. Jesus is not like these leaders. Jesus is not like these leaders who worry about their own position. Jesus laid down His life. He left heaven to come to earth so that we might be able one day to be positioned with Him there. We can submit to Him. We can follow Him. He has authority. And He's good. Are you, how are you responding to his authority? Let's pray. God Almighty, I ask for help for all of us, Lord. I put myself first in that list and ask that you would 
awaken me to be able to know where there are parts of my heart and my life that are not fully submitted to you. Pieces that I'm holding back, Lord, I, I, I don't want to be that way. No one here who has your spirit and is a Christian wants to be that way either. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to respond appropriately to your authority. I pray that you would help us to come to you, bow the knee, ask forgiveness. I pray that you would bless us with the gift of your presence, Lord. I pray also for people here who are not Christians, who are actively opposing you. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to see the futility of that. Just as it was futile for the chief priests and the scribes and the elders to come and confront Jesus, it's it's futile for us to oppose you. I pray that that reality, that truth would be clear. And I pray, Lord, that everyone here who's not a Christian would confess sin, confess their sins, bow their knee and submit to you and give themselves to you, body and soul. Lord, I pray for your presence among all of us that submitting to your authority would be a joy and an opportunity to live life the way you've called us to live. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.